Broadcasting from the Socialist Republic of New York. New York. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. The Moss Show. Politics, current events, and just a bit of Judaism. Two guys that are always right. Except when their wives tell them they're wrong. You're listening to The Moss Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ma Show. We've been uh, out for a little bit due to many different reasons, but we're, we're, we're back now, and we hope to be doing this again once a week. We are both, obviously, myself and co-host, Rabbi Echeskel Masowitz. I'm here, Nachman. How are you? I'm doing good. I hope staying home hasn't driven you completely uh, insane with this coronavirus. Everyone I've actually, I'll home. tell you the truth. I've been, I've been enjoying the opportunity to learn my, a little bit about my kids and about my wife more than I usually knew. <laughs> I know it's, it's it maybe too much. No, uh, at times it gets, it gets to me, but then I just pop a bottle of wine and enjoy myself. I'm working really hard trying to assist the white house and, uh, other officials with the response. It's just been, uh, trying to, uh, sift through, a lot of different requests that are coming my way and uh, trying to send the White House the stuff that actually makes sense. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, due to our, our, our um, the last uh, year or two, the, the work that we've done on Capitol Hill, we made a few connections with some of these people. Some of them have moved on to other jobs, um, and we've been able to help people get their information that they feel is important to get to people in the White House and to people in Congress. Um, it's been an interesting uh, time because, you know, everything is moving at a very, very fast clip, especially in D.C. And for those of you that don't know D.C., D.C. is not a place that things move quickly. It's a thing that place where things move very slowly. And the president has basically said that, that that's not the way it's going to work this time around. We need to get, you know, help to the people. We, we obviously agree with many of the things in in the president's bill. We disagree with a lot of them. We are going to have on from the Heritage Foundation. A good friend of ours who's going to be going through the ins and outs of the, for the economic, I guess, hit. Calling it the CARE Act, right? Something the like CARE that. Act, yeah. Um, so we're going to be having on a good friend of ours. We've been friends with him for many years, Joel Griffith. He's a, uh, a research fellow in, in the finance and, and economic side at Heritage. He's a really great guy. He's going to talk a little bit about the economic pieces to all of this. And we're going to, have, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on especially in the Jewish community. I know there's been a lot in the news for the listeners that we have that are not part of the Jewish community. I know you've been seeing some of the things that you've been seeing because um, the media likes to sensationalize things when it comes to certain parts of the Jewish community, which, you know, listen, yes, there are people that don't take, that aren't taking in the Jewish community that aren't taking the shelter at home seriously. There are many reasons for things that like that. People need to understand that many of these communities, they don't have social media. They don't have WhatsApp. They don't have Instagram, Facebook, things like that. So they don't really have any clue as to what is going on outside of their own community. So as the community took it more seriously, you did start to see the community as a whole take it more seriously. And yes, you have bad actors, but guess what? In parks all over New York City, they had to have the parks department go around and remove the basketball hoops from the backboards. And that wasn't because Hasidic Jews were playing basketball in the parks. It was because everybody was not listening. All different communities are yeah, not listening. Yeah, I saw that video of everybody in Queens in the park. They're all just chilling in the park. And people are going people. to the beach. There are people that just don't understand. They don't get it. But they're starting to get it. As people are unfortunately starting to die, people are starting to get it. And we are going to have Joel on shortly. But before that, you had an interesting call with somebody. Do you want to touch on base on that a little bit? Yeah, so I had a call with Dr. Patrick Baker, who, from what I understand, is the health commissioner of Westchester. So he basically was telling me that Westchester is, from what I and New Rochelle, are the, is basically ground zero for the most infected per capita in any county or district, which is very, across, in, in the country at least. And it's very interesting how he said that we're finding that the people who, whose families are getting hit the hardest are those who share a specific type of gene. And, and by the way, this is breaking news. This has not been reported anywhere, correct? Right, yeah. And uh, we're right now crafting um, the language for a letter to the president 
and to the task force to notify them of this because obviously that's something something that's really important and can help save lives because that basically what he told me is that the hydroxyclone is that what it's called the hydroxyclone hydrochloroquine yeah it actually works but if you catch it early yeah oh and the and reason why it works is because that it would also work for the for that same kind of conditions that the people with that are associated with this gene i don't want to say something that i should not say so it, hopefully we're going to have him come on and explain everything okay. basically if what he's saying is true it's a breakthrough just because then we can start testing people for when we test them for cor for corona you could also test them for this gene and then you could then basically medicate them appropriately yeah, I mean, this is a, this is amazing, and this will be breaking news. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, as you're saying, the president doesn't even know about this yet. This is literally something they just discovered today or yesterday in Westchester. Within the last, within the last couple of days, yeah. Last couple of days. And uh, I know that they're going to be continuing to look into this, God willing. We do have Joel Griffith on the phone. Joel Griffith is the, he's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He is uh, an attorney. But uh, I, don't, I don't think he's, he's not, not practicing, obviously. And he is a very good friend of ours uh, for many, many years. He, I'm sure you've seen him on Fox. He, he is the go-to now guy on, on a lot of this policy stuff. He's going to break down exactly what this CARE Act does and does not do. It's goods and it's bads. Joel, how are you doing? How's everything? Hello. Hey, thank you for having me. How are you doing? We're doing good. I mean, as much as we can, sitting in our houses with our kids jumping all over the place, getting well, getting homeschooled. Have, uh, by the way, of course they're being homeschooled, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't have any the kids in my place, but uh, I have been cooking for myself and and working from uh, the living room. I've got some cabin fever after two weeks, but uh, really, thanks for having me on. Sure, Joe. So, so, we, we 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 were so uh, looking forward to hearing all the pearls of your wisdom. <laughs> yeah, Joel, I mean, take us through, I, I know people who, who watch you online, they see that you've broken down some of the good aspects, like helping people that are un unemployed, helping the people that are desperately in need of, you know, paying rent or being out on the street, um, business, you know, but, but some of the stuff, I mean, that was, is that like, that's like not even like 10% of this, is it, what percentage of the bill is actually that type of aid? Yeah, exactly. There, I like to say there's there's good, there's bad, and there's ugly in this package. Um, and and there, there are a number of good components. I think one of the, the, the best components is recognizing that a lot of companies are going to be experiencing hopefully very temporary losses this quarter. And that doesn't even necessarily mean you need a bailout. Why not allow companies that have a big loss, apply it to prior profits that they paid taxes on and let them have some of that tax money back recognizing that they're going to likely survive in the future once they're able to actually reopen their businesses that's actually included in the uh, the cares act that uh, the president signed into law and that, how, that's many, how far back can uh, they go back how far back uh, that is a great question i believe uh they can go back three what? i think three four years three or four right i think it's 2016 i think right 2016 yeah. i think i read yeah you can go back actually that's uh, four four full years. You can roll back, um, and usually um, you can pretty much uh, just roll those um, forward. At least the majority of that. So this is a this is a big help to businesses. I think a lot of these uh, businesses that run on very thin profit margins, and that's a, a lot of us like myself. I don't run my own business right now, but uh, my dad deals with and works with a lot of these smaller companies like restaurants and bars. They're only making if they do uh, ten thousand dollars worth of sales, their profit on that. Is only about five hundred dollars or so. So when when they said companies have to shut down and they're still paying all those fixed expenses, uh, they can very rapidly go through all of the cash they have saved up, and then even if they can get out a loan, that that loan might equal a year or even two years worth of profit. So um, you mean you mean all that, business owners? You mean all business owners are millionaires and billionaires? By the way, it's not millionaires anymore. It's just billionaires <laughs> are evil because he wrote he wrote a best selling book. So now millionaires aren't evil anymore now that he is one. So you're saying that not every business owner is an evil billionaire? Yeah, not, not, all, not all business owners are even evil millionaires. Um, and, uh, and, those, and those that are, you know, a lot, a lot, most of them spent their lives 
working towards actually developing these businesses, working 70, 80 hours a week sometimes. And it's amazing how quickly um, you can go belly up when you don't have revenue for a month or two. You can have a business worth a million dollars and have two months of no revenue but keeping all your expenses and see the value of that company just plummet. It's uh, it's, it's frightening. It's and I think that's why uh, that, that, that component of this CARES Act is, is very important. And there's there's a few other ones in here as well we can talk about that are a big help to, uh, to small business owners. How about the bad and the ugly? I know the bad is, is questionably <laughs> bad, questionably good. Some of this stuff is, I, I think, even waiting for the SBA and the Fed to actually hash out the rules. But there's some stuff in here that's really ugly. And now that, I don't know, did you see this that was broke, I think, was it last night or two nights ago? The recording where they said they sent people up to D.C. to lobby to get the $25 million and that they knew all along they were going to fire all their staff? Wow. It's uh, I, I'm it's not, an hour, I'm not it's an hour and six-minute so, so six phone call. Somebody recorded the entire thing. It I, I it makes you you want to you want to go through the phone and strangle the people. They by the way I tweeted it. People don't know it's against the law to lie to the FBI. People don't know where that law comes from. It has to do with something with the Civil War where people were profiteering off of the federal government. They were lying to get money from the public kitty. That law somehow transmogrified into not being able to lie to the FBI. That's where the law comes from. These guys committed the original crime. They need to be prosecuted. They flat out talk about how they lobbied Congress to put stuff in a bill where they knew all along they were just going to have this money just to have it. Yeah, Did you well, see- um, yeah, I mean, when, when we're talking about uh, whether it's the $25 million to the Kennedy Center, and there's a lot of other uh, these special interest uh, deals in here, and a lot of government agencies that got some beefed up cash. It should disappoint us all. That's also not surprising. And unfortunately, that's actually just scratching the surface with some of the large wads of cash that are being handed out. Um, uh, I I would like to go back to one thing with the SBA, if possible. That's uh, one one positive in here for, for your listeners that are small business owners or that work for small businesses. You know, as conservatives, you, uh, we should usually be – um, I think we're usually for limited government and you know, less intervention in, in the business space. But we have a situation in which you have states and mayors, sometimes rightfully, sometimes not, but they're shutting down Main Street. They're shutting down businesses, non-essential workers, and it is going to have a dramatic impact um, on our workforce. So millions of people filed for unemployment last week. And there is a portion of this bill, once again, we're talking – about about a three hundred and fifty billion portion of this two trillion dollar package that actually does direct aid towards small businesses, those with under five hundred employees. And if, if you're one of those companies, you can take out a loan from the SBA to cover your mortgage, to cover your rent, yes, utilities, yes, and yes. your payroll expenses. And it will be and forgiven. That'll be a forgivable so long as you maintain the staffing uh, and maintain the number of employees. Um, this is a an odd time. It's a pandemic. But I think this is a positive because this, this helps out the businesses that through no choice of their own have been shuttered or been yeah, threatened I, to I know we've, seen business go down. Pesky, you've been dealing with some of this, with some of your contacts with the small businesses. And just today, I think they, they made the website even easier, I think, today. They've actually oh, streamlined the website. I know, yeah, I know Obamacare and, was like a gajillion dollar website, which failed. This is a very simple website, which is helping people. So um, well, it's important. It's important. Yeah, it's important that it's easy for businesses because that, as you know, the businesses are hurting so much, and it's very hard for them. And to make it now a bureaucratic process is going to be even more difficult. I do know that folks at the White House and in, at the Treasury with Mnuchin's team are trying as hard as possible to make this as easy going as possible. But while yes. we're already talking about this care, well, I, just want, I just want to talk about a quick thing that that one of the things that we've been dealing with. I know we spoke with some of the people that are on this. The, this this there's, a, there's another task force. It's not an official task force, but it was part of leadership in, 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 in D.C. One of the things that we were nervous about that we brought up from the business people that we were speaking to was that some of these bigger corporations that are big corporations, but small, say massive, massive real estate companies where 
every property is its own LLC and employs three people can, in theory, take money off of the taxes on one side, get money on the third. And because they're so involved with banks, they can start getting and scooping up all these loans very quickly. So this is one of the reasons why it was so important for small businesses that are real small businesses to be able to access some of these loans quickly before people that understand how banking is done grab all that money because the money's not infinite, right? I mean, Joel, the money's not, there's a finite amount of money that was put into this fund, correct? Yeah, there's $349 billion put into this small business loan forgiveness program. So Congress would have to come back and address the situation if we get to the point where that number is going to be exceeded. Right. Now, I know I spoke with you, but I, I, I never really got, the way I see a lot of this bill, the way I explain it, at least from a conservative value, is the eminent domain law, it's the, if I'm not mistaken, it's the end of the Fifth Amendment, that government may not take private property without just compensation. Now, we always see that, at least up until now, as far as I know in jurisprudence, you're a lawyer, you can tell me, we've always seen that as real estate, correct? We've never seen it used in any other way. Have we? Yeah, this is a well, this is not my uh, particular area of legal expertise, but I can say that uh, typically when you're talking about um, uh, suing a government for eminent domain based on your private property being taken, if it's going to be considered a regulatory taking, the way the law has been decided through the years, it has to be almost a complete devaluation of that business. In this situation, it's going to be really tough to win on that argument because you know, we're, we're dealing with, hopefully, is going to be a temporary situation right, of a right. few weeks to a few months. So if I were a business owner, um, I, I would uh, speak to counsel about it, um, but I would be hesitant uh, to, to think so that I'm, in the vast majority of instances you'll be able to, um, to actually no, win on that ground. Right, but what I'm saying is that the way I'm seeing this aid package is an eminent domain aid, meaning where the government told everybody, listen, we need to, we yeah. need to get this, this thing under control. We're telling you to shut your business. But we also realize that that's your private property, and we kind of have to give you just compensation. Now, listen, we can't go around buying up people's businesses. That's impossible. There's no money, and there's not enough money in the world for that. We can do is we can we can try to mitigate the severity of the destruction of your private property by saying, listen, yeah. we understand we're not giving you what your business is worth. But what we are going to do is we're going to mitigate a month's worth of losses so that you're not going and the second we reopen, you got to start retraining staff, finding new staff. Basically, you're going to you're going to close your business one weekend, open up four weekends later, hopefully, and make believe like it was just a very long weekend where we picked yeah, up the you, expenses for the month. You brought up two fantastic points. Um, the, the one the one being this is an unusual situation where we're saying you cannot open temporarily. But you also mentioned the fact we don't have an infinite supply of money or I should say we, we can't create an infinite supply of money without having disastrous economic consequences. Uh, this right. bill, which is two trillion bucks, and that's just the start of it because you know, we can talk more about how the Federal Reserve will leverage this and even more money. That does have some unintended consequences in terms of expanding our money supply, possibly devaluing our dollar, possibly leading towards interest rates rising in the longer term in the government debt. There's a lot of consequences in creating this money and borrowing this money to pay off. I know you. I'm all for. I'm all for helping these small businesses. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's important to recognize that the longer we keep things closed and the more that we try to help, the longer term and the more severe consequences we're going to have over a long period of time. And that's why it's so imperative that we contain this, that we get the medical supplies, we get the testing kits that we can safely get people back to work because that's how wealth is created, not by borrowing and printing money, even when right. it's for a good purpose of trying to help our neighbors out. Right. I mean, you've spoken about how America may – this may devalue it to where the dollar is no longer used um, uh, as, the na as the international currency, correct? Yes, yes. Joel, let me ask you sure. a couple of questions. I know that you and I have argued about this um, on various forums and – I, obviously, they were uh, spirited and friendly debates, but I would like to give this a little bit of a kind of like a glimpse into this idea to our listeners, and we'd like to hear your opinion on this. I feel like the president right now has a really critical opportunity to basically basically could could go down as the way Reagan did in challenging 
the same way Reagan challenged Yuri Andropov and break the fissures um, within the Soviet Communist Party. Trump now has the opportunity to stand up to Xi Jinping's flattery, so to speak, and really um, change the way we do business here in America. And I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts. Why do you think the Trump administration is not doing that? Um, well, I, I think there, there actually there has been some solid movement on that over the past two years. I think that we've seen um, a number of political leaders, including those within the administration and the president, recognize um, and publicly recognize um, some of the the problems. And I would say, you know, as far as to say the evils within the communist uh, chi Chinese uh, party, I think that we're dealing with some of those realities in a very real way today thanks to the lack of transparency um, and the way in which China initially handled this crisis. And um, we see this now in the fact that they've ejected journalists, um, including from the Wall Street Journal, from even reporting fully on the situation. This has caused a loss of lives, and it's caused um, economic havoc uh, across the world that could have been, I think, um, minimized compared to what we have now. But I think even beyond this virus, um, I think despite how we might feel in particular trade policies that have been pursued by the administration, there has been, I think, a, a focus and a very public focus on some of the ways in which um, China has acted inappropriately um, in the global economy and in international trade. Um, the ways in which um, intellectual property theft continues, and it's not just that there's a blind eye turned towards it on the part uh, of China. Oftentimes, there's, there's the government being involved with that. And then you have the whole issue of state-owned enterprises, which are competing with our companies. And these state-owned enterprises are really able to operate in some instances um, in a, with a real loss because they're subsidized by the Communist Chinese Party. So I think it's very important that even for those like myself, I, I value um, the fact that, that we all benefit longer term from having um, free trade. It has to be uh, a trade in which property rights are respected and in which government um, um, stops this uh, this artificial subsidization uh, of so many of these enterprises. I'm thankful that we are beginning to focus more uh, more on that. Do you think this is the, this is the beginning? Do you think this is the beginning of the end of of doing things in China? I know a lot of people that I've spoken to that manufacture in China are already going to places, let's say like Turkey, Bangladesh, India. Places like that, uh, Mexico is going to be because of the new trade deal. Mexico now, once again, will become a very big trade partner. Yeah, th there needs to be a recognition on the part of the Chinese government that if they want to continue um, becoming um, more of an integral part of our global economy, um, including with our country, that they're going to have to address these concerns. Um, IP theft, um, the, the state-owned enterprises and this lack of transparency because you can't have a situation that it's 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 um it's, it's very troubling for companies that want to make long-term investments um, including building factories in china or engaging in long-term relationships with suppliers if they're going to have to worry um, that something like this is going to be um, a, a more regular occurrence how, how do you make a decision to invest millions right. and billions of dollars with the capital so yeah, I think that if uh, but China's not careful, Joel, I think that people are going to be searching for alternative uh, supply sources and supply chains. But forget about the economic impacts for a second. Shouldn't China pay reparations to the United States for the for what it's inflicted upon us? Um, I, I don't know that there would be um, a, a legal way to go about that. Um, we do have a lot of uh, that. That's I I wouldn't hold my breath on something like that. But I would say that they are already. Paying, we're all paying for their mistakes now, and right, I, I, I just saw that, that. But they're being rewarded because that right now, I don't know if you saw the reports. Manufacturing this month has gone up in China, and unfortunately, due to the circumstances, we need we need medical supplies, and the only way to get those medical supplies are through China. And China is actually, from what I understand from several suppliers that I'm working with to try to help the United States secure medical supplies, has been manipulating the market to keep the prices high again abusing the, the the environment and but at the same time they know that we are desperate for them so they're allowing us to airlift one ship a day um with supplies out of china in the meantime they have their manufacturing is up they're back in business and they're taking advantage of the particular uh, pandemic 
and manipulating the market once again to enrich the the communist party and the and its and its members so i don't understand how why can't like, we just why can't we just take just take the money that the the i know that under the constitution we have to pay our debt but at some point at, at some point you got to turn around and say you don't pay debt to a country you're at war with and we're we're at, we are at an economic oh, cold war with uh, them now like they, we're, I'm sorry, it's just flat out not a possibility that uh, we are going to stop stop paying on our on our bonds and our debt. It's a violation of the Constitution. It would cause, in addition to that, um, that that would cause uh, re economic havoc. Um, that would just be unbelievable. But I think uh, I think when it comes to this idea uh, of supplies, though, we also bear some of the blame on this. You know, it wasn't until uh, February, I think it was actually a March 24th that the FDA finally decided to go ahead and um, bend, bend the rules to allow us to import certain medical equipment like masks from companies, not com companies, countries like Japan or the EU that actually have very well-developed safety guidelines. They're not exactly like ours. And because they weren't exactly like ours, there was an entire complicated process that we're having to wait on to be able to bring in these supplies that we that are actually right, vent ventilators ventilators now. correct vent we know about this because we were trying to ventilators that are <laughs> ce approved not fda approved yes so you you know what we're up against and um thankfully and the over regulation i mean like they also are making a reality where if you sell these medical supplies and you're able to access these markets for some supplies, such as ventilators, if you don't have an FDA license, which is some sort of regulation from 2007, I believe, then you can go to prison, which also, I think, halts the whole opportunity of importing stuff because, of, as you can imagine, there's a lot of importers and exporters out there who potentially can tap into their networks and bring in a tremendous amount of supply. Yeah, I mean, be, we, we're touting, we're touting the mic. Yeah, we're touting the my pillow guy because look what he's doing. Well, if I'm an importer of exporter of radios and widgets, and I can actually tell my factories that are making me radios, hey guys, switch over to ventilators. I want to bring them into the country to help out, and then the FBI knocks on my door and arrests me. That's it, it's asinine. Yeah, you really can't separate the economic consequences on this from the health consequences from the regulatory overreach. They're all uh, they're they're really all intertwined. Um, if you look yeah. too back uh, back a few months ago when when we first started to realize what we're going to be facing, um, we had private companies and universities that wanted to help set up uh, labs and, and testing facilities. And the same thing, you run into a lot of very well-intentioned guidelines, uh, but there is this uh, lethargy on the part of the government to move quickly when it's warranted to go ahead and balance off that public health interest with the typical routine safety measures. Um, and uh, I think people are beginning to wake up to that. And I think as people see how we've responded to this state locally and nationally versus how um, other countries have done, some that have done quite poorly, <laughs> and others that have actually done, I think, um, quite a bit uh, better in how they've um, in implemented safety measures in a way that protects the vulnerable without needlessly shutting down the economy. I think there's going to be a lot of questions that the public starts asking in a few months once this passes to see why is it that other civilized economies were able to handle this in a way that had far less dire economic economic consequences while still Such protecting as. the health of the most vulnerable. Um, if you as. look at um, I, I said, so I think the, the jury is still out on a lot of this, but I think there's going to be a lot of comparison between us, for instance, and Sweden, Japan, Singapore, South Korea. And, of course, you can't get you know, right off on the, on the economic performance or on the fatalities or the case infections because each country is different demographically. But I think that's where a lot of this analysis is going to be conducted. We're going to look at what are the similarities and differences between these countries and their demographics and also in the ways that the governments reacted and what were the economic outcomes of that combined with looking at what were the health consequences. Um, right. So I, I'm, what, what gives me hope is that if this happens again, and no doubt at some point in the future it will, I do think that we're well, going to be open, better prepared. The wet, markets, the wet markets are back opened already. There's, there's video already over the internet of, of the wet markets <laughs> being open again. So this is going to happen yeah. all over again. Yeah. I, I know we can look at countries like Canada, like Israel, like Sweden and Denmark and all those countries. But a lot of these countries, the people in them are very homogenous. 
the Japanese listen to directions very well. That's one of the things, like, I, I know there was a, a famous Japanese doctor that said, like, guys, Japan's doing well, but you really don't want to live under Japanese rule. That's not, <laughs> you, don't, you don't really want, there's, there's no liberty there. There's a liberty issue also. What do you say about that? Where, where does the curtailing of liberties and the need for medical science, I guess you could say, to take over, where, where, does, where is that equilibrium? Where, where do you think that lies? Well, our, our constitution and our rule of law, that remains in place even during periods of national emergency. But of course, the government does have more leeway in those emergencies, uh, emergencies uh, to, to act. Um, so even with these uh, with these wholesale shutdowns of, of states, there's a strong argument to be made that in many instances, those governors and mayors are acting within the police power that they have. But thankfully, too, we have a system where we can challenge that peacefully in court. And I think a lot of those lawsuits will be filed, and some will show that uh, these actions were constitutional. Others will show that certain actions were unconstitutional. Um, and I think that um, that's going like, to be a big like shutting down houses of wor houses of worship well, is going to be challenged. That's for sure. Well, and that you know, and, and the constitutionality of that too, of course. Um, I mean, we have other experts here that can talk uh, in depth yeah. about that. Um, but but in certain in certain instances, um, you know, temporary restrictions on gatherings in general are constitutional. No, I, that, that's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about uh, where yeah. Mayor De Blasio said that he was going to permanently, meaning that. Even after this is all over, <laughs> those houses of worship will remain closed because they didn't listen to a guy who went to the gym a week ago. What a shocking statement. And uh, from what I know or from what I've seen, I, I don't know that he's even clarified that or, or backtracked. No, he hasn't. Is, uh, he just says shocking. things. He's, a, he's an imbecile. He just says things. He doesn't actually qualify anything. He tells people not to go to the gym. And then some reporter actually followed him to the gym from the speech he gave not to go to the gym. <laughs> Amazing. You know, listen, he's a communist. We know this. He's a Marxist. So well, it's do as I say, not as I do. He has a lot, you know, in common with the uh, with the Chicoms in China. He sees them as his kindred uh, brothers in, in political philosophy. I'm sure he wishes he can do exactly what they're doing in China, which is tag people, watch their social media, well, uh, and arrest them. He would look, love I, to. Look, with, with the mayor, I, I, I don't know about all that. I know that uh, there's... there's... <laughs> There's no doubt that he's not in the mainstream of American politics, um, and I think you've even seen that back and forth between him and and, and Governor Cuomo. Yes. Uh, but like like you said too, the the ways in which different uh, not even different countries but even different cities react to um, basic health guidelines. If you look around D.C., I bike a lot around the city, and you see nearly everybody maintaining these distancing requirements between each other. But then I saw the pictures coming out of New York the other day, where people are just Crowded up, trying to get a glimpse of the uh, the, the the carrier, um, the health carrier off the coast, and then you got dozens of people crammed into uh, subway cars. Yeah, it really is different uh, city, even city to city um, across this country, and that no doubt has an impact on the severity um, of this epidemic. And um, sadly, I think that does force some mayors to act uh, more severely in in curtailing our typical freedoms than than others, simply because some people uh, don't seem to want to follow some of these basic guidelines that could keep us safer and allow us a lot more freedom throughout this. Now, what, do you think there's going to be any economic impact? Because I, I do know with Passover coming and Easter coming, um, th there, there's typically a lot of business that gets done this time of year. And because of this, do you see that or, or is that or, or are these two holidays not really they're not the Christmas of the year, meaning if this happened Christmas time, you would probably be seeing some massive amounts of economic issues as far as that. Do you think that Passover, I know in the Jewish community, Passover is big, but as far as the country's economic uh, health, do you see the, the, the displacement of Easter and Passover as being a problem or it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's too minor to see big, big enough issues? Yeah, I think it's been dwarfed by the overarching crisis. I mean, definitely there's usually more travel over Easter and Passover. But at this point, people are afraid to even get on a plane just for a regular trip. I flew back from uh, a few weeks ago from, uh, from Colorado, <laughs> as the mountains closed out there. And I came back on a cross-country flight with maybe 10 other people on the flight. I paid $14. 
And that wasn't because people aren't allowed to fly. It is also people are afraid, to, and I'm not saying they're wrong in feeling this way necessarily, but people are afraid to even get on. So I'm sure this has a minor uh, an impact. You, said yeah. you flew from Colorado to D.C. for 14 bucks. $14, and I bought the ticket at the airport. Yes. That's, that's, Spirit that's, Airlines. That's crazy. I, it, it was scary. Um, uh, yeah, and there was almost no one in the airport, almost no one on the flight. And, yeah, for the price of a, a cab ride. Your, your <laughs> bottle of water in the airport costed more probably. Yeah, it, it, was, um, it was eerie. <laughs> wow. It's a good one, Nachman. Uh, uh, absolutely insane. Wow. Let me ask you another. Let me ask you another question. Okay. Do you think we're going to end up seeing a a buy American bill after this, with provisions to encourage bringing back industries to the United States, or at least minimally to North America? And how do you feel about that? What would be the contours of of that? What would well, be the contours of that? What, uh, I mean, the idea that respect? we. The, the idea that we floated by was similar to the Homestead Act back in the day, was where take federal land that's just sitting empty and say, listen, you get the land if you build a factory here and you start employing and training Americans in your factories. Because we did it in the home, we homesteaded the entire West this way. I don't understand why we can't homestead businesses in the West this way. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I I would see there to be um, a renewed focus on um, our supply chains, not overall. But for certain um, products, so you've mentioned some of the concerns with getting some of these very needed medical supplies. I think that there, 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 there would be an appetite um, with politicians on both sides of the aisle to look at those components, um, the national security uh, components, and and and, the, and and maybe the health components, some of the supply chain issues. Rare earths, but rare really, earths is a big one. People I know forget. that that's one that you've taken. Yeah, that you've taken a close look at. And I think that's getting a lot more um, attention lately. We have a lot of uh, a lot of regulations that um, just impede the very ability of of companies to develop our natural resources, both rare earths and and other um, minerals and and commodities. We're it's like beating. I'm sure it's like beating your head against the wall to get some of this approved. <laughs> and um, I mean, I you have to realize every function. ventilator, every one of these magical ventilators that are saving people's lives. The boards inside all have rare earths in them, and the only place we get them right now is China. Yeah. And, and with some of these, like some of your, uh, what you're talking about with uh, expanding these resources here and the availability, it doesn't require cronyism. It doesn't require handouts. It just requires allowing businesses and investors to go ahead and access the resources that are already here and just get rid of the, the, the needless inhibitions at uh, at developing it, that's that's what it takes. And they I need think to get the hell out of the way. That, yeah. Yes. They need yes. to get the hell out of the way. The government is just in the way. Yeah. I mean, uh, how, how yeah, much how much regulation have you seen the president remove? Obviously, he was he's been removing uh, regulation at a very rapid pace. I would say probably probably more than Reagan. But then again, a lot of this that he removed was post Reagan. Do you see this removing, do you see him, these regulations that he's removing now, which he claims are temporary, do you see them becoming permanent as he shows everybody, hey, you really don't need all this? Well, what's, what's very fortunate is a lot of the, the rollbacks that you see that aren't getting news exposure, for those regulations to be re-implemented, even if they're a different administration that comes to town, thankfully, it's going to be difficult to reinstate many of them because they require comment periods and letters and public review. Um, so I, I think what, what's, what's wonderful are a lot of the economic benefits that we've experienced from, um, from deregulating where appropriate. We're going to receive lasting dividends from that long after this pandemic ends and long after even the next um, uh, term of whoever the next president is, long after that term expires as well. Wow. So you're saying that because the president has deregulated a lot of this in order to get a lot of this regulation back, it's not just reinstating it, just going, OK, now it's reinstated. It actually has to go through the exact same process that it took to get it regulated the first time. But this time we can actually turn around and go, wait a minute. Last time this failed. Why would we do it again? Exactly. You can't just snap it back. So of course, what of, I would like to see wow. with the right Congress, I don't know if it would happen with the current arrangement. But with the right Congress, you could actually have Congress clarify exactly 
what kind of uh, authority they're giving to these agencies to even craft these rules and regulations. You've seen Congress delegate its authority to write a lot of these regs to these federal agencies. Congress has the power under our Constitution to actually take that delegated power back. But that's uh, yeah, I, I doubt that's going to be happening here in the next six months. Yeah, but that's one of the reasons why it's so important that the right we, we elect the right. You know, people will say, "Oh, I don't need a vote." You do need a vote. If you don't like the fact that you're sitting home right now and that your, your great-grandmother or your grandmother is in the hospital waiting for a ventilator, well, the reason they're waiting for a ventilator is because uh, Governor Cuomo got rid of them. Well, that's um, it's really interesting. I was reading about um, some of the actions back from, I think, 2015 when the state of New York had the opportunity to go ahead and buy. I think it was well over 10,000 ventilators for around $600 million. They ended up not buying the ventilators. But what was really interesting is that year – I mean, $600 million is a lot of money, but that year, the New York budget was more than $150 billion. So preparing for something like this with buying ventilators would have been 0.4% of that annual budget, just 0.4% at one time. And then on top of that, there was more than $2 billion of the $150 billion that went to uh, quote-unquote uh, economic development, which if you look through historically the list of what qualifies as economic development, it is just riddled with cronyism and political favoritism. They could have just taken a third of that and bought some ventilators, a third of it. I, yep. I, I don't know how this isn't more of a New York story, but it, it's because, uh, because really everyone thinks, to read about. Because when you look, because I'll tell you why, because unlike other states where governors are failing miserably, we have a mayor who is running a city that is bigger than most states, and he's failing in epic proportion. So when you have a, a mayor like de Blasio who's failing in such – great numbers. Um, I mean, nobody, I, I, even his staff supposedly saying that he's a failure. That, that, that's what they're reporting. You know, Cuomo looks like he's he's all roses. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of this failure is actually not the Blasio's, it's Cuomo's. Wow. You know, it's, uh, it's disheartening to see to see some of the uh, the, the possibilities that were neglected. It's, of course, it's I, a real I, shame. Look, it's a real look shame. Joel, you don't have to convince me. You know that I hate government spending and I hate government waste. But at the same time, I want to divert to this for a moment. You have to admit that we don't we would have not been able to pass any other bill if it would have been structured in a conservative fashion. And just for the optics alone, it was just from what I understand, it was just politically too expensive too expensive and we probably would have not been able to win back the house if we would have avoided this and I, and I and i know that a lot of people like to claim like yeah conservatism will win the day but it doesn't seem like that always works when the other side has billions of dollars to run ads how evil we are because that we wouldn't give money to businesses Look, I, I can't say that you're wrong. I'm not a political strategist. I look at, at the policies. I guess that's how it is. But I will say when you look at the total of this, $2.1 trillion, and you look back to the Obama stimulus package in 2009, the American Recovery Reinvestment Act, we're talking about this package was nearly three times the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 that was so roundly criticized um, by conservatives and, I believe, Rightfully so. Um, if you look at the components of this, I I, I would hope that in the future um, Congress will be able to go ahead and consider piecemeal these giant bills. We're talking $300 billion at a time and consider them. I think we could have found a lot of agreement on the small business loan component. We could have worked through the unemployment insurance. I think there's a desire of everyone right and left to help people that are unemployed or working fewer hours and to do it in a way that would not have longer term damage. I mean, look at the unemployment component here, uh, $250 billion worth. We added on $600 a week to state benefits. Well, you have a situation now where a lot of people, not all, but a lot of people end up earning more on unemployment than do at their job. And Oh, we have, this, we well, we and, have this problem right? in Brooklyn. I was speaking to a councilman <laughs> here where he said that some of the stores that he sat there one night begging them to stay open, and then they finally stayed open on Saturday night. By Monday, their entire staff quit because they all went, oh, we're going to go on unemployment. Yeah. Now, of course, that that, the staff probably don't realize that they can't just quit. But that's exactly. the point. I have a, a friend of mine. Uh, they have a construction business uh, in Ohio. Six of the eight quit the day 
before it actually passed, not realizing you can't just quit and collect, but they quit. They weren't construction companies are still operating. They're not necessarily shutting down. Even here in DC, they're working. Six of the eight quit thinking they could go ahead and collect their unemployment bonus. And right. and, and look, I like I said, my heart goes out to those later, but I want to help them. Heritage Foundation actually had a, a great plan that wouldn't have just applied to small businesses. It would have been a tax credit for uh, all businesses to help keep people on at least the payrolls, even if uh, businesses were, were shut down temporarily. And this would have been a way to keep people attached to the workforce. Of course, it's going to cost taxpayers money. But like we talked about earlier, these businesses are forced temporarily shut. And it wouldn't be a situation where once the governor or the mayor says, okay, you can reopen, it wouldn't be a situation where people, for various reasons, might be disinclined to go back to the employer they are at. Like, there is a way to do this without all these negative economic consequences, but this was rushed through, and this is what we have. So I, my focus now they, is uh, how, how undo, can we go ahead and make, they make undo this better? Pieces of it? Are they able to undo pieces of it? Yes, and that's what um, – so uh, there's going to be probably another package put forward here within the next few weeks, and we think this will be an opportunity to take a closer look at some of these programs and, and, make, and make it better. Even the, the Small Business Administration component, think about this. If you've got 499 employees, you can go ahead and get a forgivable loan to cover two and a half months' worth of payroll. Um, well, I'm going to tell you, if Joel. You 500, if you have 500 employees, you get – Zero. <laughs> Zero. So there has to be a way to address some of these. And look, this wasn't intentionally – some of these mistakes weren't intentionally done, but they definitely need to be, uh, to be addressed. Yeah, I'm just going to say, Joel, I'm, uh, I'm a member of Heritage Foundation because of you. So you could take credit for me for that because at the end of the day, Thank you. we need people like you to, to keep us honest. But at the same time, I do feel like the, the tremendous amount of pressure – for Congress to act, and with Nancy Pelosi holding everybody hostage, it's a miracle that the bill did not have more pork than it already did. With that said, yep, I, 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 yep. I feel like like we need to figure out some sort of solution to, I guess, what you could to, 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 I guess, undo the damage. And I hope that folks like Heritage and other conservative think tanks will figure out ways to challenge the the waste and to help continue educating members on what's important. And hopefully if we win back the house, we could, do you think that if we win back the house, we can reverse some of it? Well, I'm coming at this from an officially, um, I'm looking just at the policy side. If the Republicans were to take back the house, you know, they're, they're, uh, yeah, some, some of those uh, in, in Republican leadership have been fairly outspoken in opposition to some of these components, but there's been, there have been other uh, other Republicans actually that have been very supportive of some of the some of the the, the the very bad pieces of this. So it's hard to say, but I will say, as you mentioned, there were other proposals that were even worse. Um, I, I think from a policy perspective, that were blocked by a number of legislators. And yeah, I know we didn't talk about those possibilities, but I think that a, a number of Congress people. Uh, do deserve credit for really making sure that some of those elements were, were given a very, let's say they were given a very close look at. Uh, people gave it a very close look, and I, I think that, that's important to acknowledge. Uh, well, thank you very, very much, Joel. For thank you so time. much we, for coming. We know on. you're busy. You, you, this is a, this is the, a lot of stuff coming out of D.C. at a very rapid, a ra very rapid pace, and you have your hands full trying to figure out what is the you know, you guys are like the big, you know, you're the adult in the room in D.C., the Heritage Foundation. That's that's the way the way I see it is, is that everybody is political operators. But at the end of the day, you need someone to go, hey, guy, you're, you're guys, this is no, stop it. So that, that's the Heritage Foundation. And you guys do a really, really, really great, great job. I always read the stuff from Heritage, especially from you. But we appreciate you. your time, Joel. We hope you stay safe. We hope. All you guys are, are, are going to continue the fight once this is all over because we're going to have to do a lot of this damage the same way we did this at a fast pace. We're going to have to undo a lot of the damage from this at a fast pace so that it doesn't give us economic hurt going in the future. Stay safe. Happy Passover, Joel. And thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful day. have you again soon. Yes, sure. Absolutely. So that was really great. Lecheski, what, what are your thoughts about some of the things that Joel said? Look, I think it's important that we we keep talking about these policy issues and that we keep ourselves aligned with what makes sense, you know, like at the end of the day, like, as you know, like I look at things from 
from a political prism a lot more than the policy guys do. So it's much harder for me to rationalize holding up an entire government hostage to make sure that you have a conservative bill. But at the end of the day, I do worry about uh, the future of our children and the future of this country with the accumulation of debt that we've uh, achieved. Now, there are those who like propose these theories that, and I've heard several people in, in politics say this, and I don't know how realistic it is. Some of them say, yeah, well, we'll never have to pay the, the Chinese back. And others say that the gains that we'll make in our market over the next five years, we'll pay everything back. It's, 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 all, it's all nice, but at the end of the day, it's not so realistic. And therefore, the fact that we've spent so much money on so much garbage it's very hard to comprehend what how much money it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this is this is the problem that we have. I mean, you know, we, you've been dealing with this rare earths for a while. A lot of the chickens are coming home to roost right now. Where to get cheaper stuff, we've went and and basically allowed the Chinese to run roughshod over us. And we, you know, people are saying that Trump is a racist. Trump is this. Trump's been like talking about this since he came down that escalator, uh, more or less. Pretty much. He's been, he, he's been talking about how we need to stop letting the Chinese beat us at our own game. I mean, there's an old saying that the, the business of America is business and we got to get back to business. And I think this is going to show a lot of Americans that the government is not only not always the answer, but many times it's the solution is is not is the is getting the government out of the way. I think a lot of Americans are going to see finally that. We as conservatives are not crazy. We are just telling you the government is the problem. And if you would just let businesses run, I mean, look at what look at what some of these businesses are doing on their own. That they're, I think the last time you've probably seen, and I, I had this this thought the other day. And Chesk, you tell me what you think about it. You no, know, the last war that we so really won was probably World War II. Korea and Vietnam were, for all intents and purposes. Nash, you know, boondoggles of, of one sense, whether whether you want to call it a boondoggle due to, you know, the hearts and minds here in our own country, you know, that's always been a thought. Um, but the fact of the matter is the last time America feels like it won a war was probably World War II. And if you look at what happened during World War II, what happened? America got together and won the war. Our corporations got together and started manufacturing for the war effort. Something that you're now starting to see again for the first time in a long time, a president who went to private industry and said, guys, figure out how to do this. I don't care how. Just figure it out and come back to me with a plan. And I think because we have a president like President Trump who understands that the businesses can really do a lot to bridge that gap, that government was in that industry for no reason. I really think that that's why you're seeing industries that where the CEOs don't necessarily support the president. They don't really support him when it comes to political stuff, but they understand he's brought back that Americanism to corporations again. What are your thoughts on something like that? Do you, do you see what I'm saying at all? I think if we, I think if we bring manufacturing back to America and we let this actually evolve into something more than what it already is, then we will bring a lot of prosperity back to this country and we'll see a new boom like the, like a post-World War II boom, which is why they call people boomers because they were born into that boom and that tremendous uh, level of prosperity in this country. Well, but at the same that's time... That's not the reason they're called boomers, but... <laughs> why are they called boomers? Because they were boom? They were no, because, boom? because there was a first boom. There was a right, I know, boom. I know, but there is, there's a double connotation to it. Yeah. Um, definitely but is. Do you, see, do you see a level of American corporate pride where some of these businesses are being forced to once again say, hey, we're, we're American corporations and we need to step up. I mean, I don't think we've seen – I mean, you have companies that are retooling their factories, small mom-and-pop companies that manufacture tablecloths. I mean, tablecloth.com or something like that, they decided they're going to stop making tablecloths and they're going to start manufacturing masks. Like just – Good old American ingenuity where people say, hey, my company manufactures widgets, but I'm pretty sure we can also manufacture, I don't know, components that hospitals need. 
tell us what you need. Just just give us the schematics. And let us just start manufacturing it. Yeah. If we, and I think if, that, that if, might be a blessing we, in disguise. We have to do that. We have to do it so badly. And I, I think I think if we play our cards right, we will be able to do that. But I think that it will require a tremendous amount of sacrifice by the American people initially with a vision to accomplish more things. And it, there are obviously a lot of special interest groups and a tremendous amount of big corporations who don't want to decouple from China. And I think that that's something that we're going to see over the next couple of months, especially as we get out of this, it's going to become a public debate. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure we will be successful. I don't, I don't know if the America first doctrine will win because that the interests of the corporations is just too big, but I pray that the president will but, have the tenacity and the leadership to do is, so. Will American sentiment change? Will will people realize? No, obviously they're not. I don't. I don't think the Walmart type of stores, th that type of stuff. I just don't see it making a big enough impact where you start to see people saying, "Well, I'm not going to buy things at Walmart anymore because it's made in China." But what I do see is is that people are going to say, "Well, how come we're not manufacturing in China?" And I think that question is going to be asked. And if unions had any brains in their head, which they don't because now they've just become lobbyists for the progressive movement. But if any union members are out there, you need to start calling your union reps and your shop stewards and saying, can we like cut the crap of this progressive nonsense where all we do is go on marches for abortion and actually try to bring manufacturing back? Can we stop fighting for abortion rights and start fighting for manufacturing notebooks in America? I remember having notebooks as a kid that said UBIEW on them, which was, I guess, some union that manufactured notebooks. I remember my mother buying them because she was a union member and she wanted we us need to have them. We, we need them so badly. We do. But these unions have gotten so into fighting for the fight for 15 and fighting for women's rights, which aren't women's rights. They, they, they're, you know, 60 something billion, you know, million people are aborted a, a year. I don't get why some of these organizations have completely stopped fighting for what they should be fighting for, all in the name of progressivism. And if they got, if they actually sat down and worked with a president like Trump, I think he would be very open to sitting down with unions and bringing manufacturing back. Very likely. And I think I think you, unions are a big problem, and I think they need to get back to fighting for their own workers, not fighting. You know, American unions were were the backbone of this country, and they're not anymore because they don't do anything. That's the truth. They truly don't do anything. They need to get back to doing something, and maybe they would actually rate somewhere be, uh, above above the media right now. Americans don't really like unions. Your typical American doesn't like a union. Whether unions like to hear that or not, they don't. They see them as 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 a what's called a pest. Because they don't want to be controlled. And you know what? Fifty fifty if forty eight percent of the country is Republican, well that forty eight percent sees unions as don't as doing exactly what the Kennedy Center did. Twenty twenty five million dollars they got, and what are they doing? They're giving it as donations. It's in it's in the phone conversation how they're gonna be donating money. They're not stopping the donations to Democrats. But they are going to fire all their employees. Now, I want to ask any employee in the Kennedy Center, you're an idiot if you vote for a Democrat. You deserve to be fired. If anybody that got laid off at the Kennedy Center doesn't vote Republican, you deserve to be fired because you're a fool. Because you literally just gave up your job so that Democrats can get reelected. You deserve what you vote for. I'm sorry, it's hard to hear. But in my opinion, you deserve what you got. Because you are part of the problem. Any Percent. union person who is being fur furloughed and their union is donating to Democrats, I'm sorry, you're part of the problem. Get on the phone and go on strike from your union. Get your union members to go on strike from your union. Guess what? You're able to do that. There is no reason why union members can't go on strike from their union. Go on strike. Get signs. Go outside your local and say you're no longer going to give dues to the union until they stop shipping jobs to all over the place. Until they stop the red tape that doesn't allow manufacturing back into this country. You want to know until why that... there are no union jobs? Because you can't manufacture here.
That's why. And with that, we'd like to conclude this great podcast. Exactly. And we'll back. be back here again next week, God willing, on J-Tribe Radio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great week. And everybody, please stay healthy, stay safe. And we'll be with you next week. You've been listening to The Moss Show. Broadcasted from the Socialist Republic of New York. But please, don't tell our governor he asked us to leave. They have no place in the state of New York. Tune in again next week, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or go to J Tribe Radio to listen to the podcast anytime on Play, iTunes, and Stitcher.